This podcast is sponsored by the makers of All Grow Compost, a natural, organic, based, all-in-one solution for a cleaner, greener world. Welcome to My Ag Life, where we cover your world in agriculture. This podcast is powered by the top publications in the industry, West Coast Nut, Progressive Crop Consultant, and Organic Farmer Magazine. Here is your host, Taylor Chalstrom. Hi, welcome to My Ag Life. Today we're talking with Chris Simmons in the Department of Food Science and Technology at UC Davis and Rory Crowley with Project APSM about biosolarization in almond orchards and how returning holes and shells to the orchard can improve soil and tree health. Welcome to the show, Chris and Rory. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. This is great. Yeah, it's great to have you both here. Rory, let's start off with you. Can you explain a little bit about how this idea really came to be, you know, what is biosolarization's purpose in crops in general and, you know, why use it in almond here? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, thanks for having us. And, um, you know, this kind of really grew out of uh, a project that I did out of almond, the almond leadership um, program. And that was, uh, you know, we had all this excess hull and shell um, seemingly coming off of the processors with uh, the almond processors. And, you know, some of those markets were drying up. And so it just made a lot of sense to try to find, you know, alternative uh, practices. And so that was about the time um, Karen Lapsley back then. I mean, I was working for Nicholas Nutt at that time. And um, Karen Lapsley put me together with uh, Dr. Simmons. And, and Dr. Simmons had been thinking about some cool stuff with, you know, um, uh, just food residues. And so we just said, Hey, let's, let's try to put something together. That, that's kind of how that came about. Certainly. So is there like any sort of process that goes behind that, like a paperwork or anything, or you kind of just like throw an idea out and it gets put into play? Well, I think, I mean, at first we did this, we, you know, we just kind of all sat around, we had a kind of a brainstorming session and then Chris threw out the idea of putting together kind of a, a lab scale um, before we went, you know, I wanted to do it. We had a, we had a old a walnut orchard coming out and that was, you know, it was problematic because number one, we had um, highway 99 on one side, we had residential housing units on another side. We literally had, um, you know, a preschool in one of those housing units that kind of plays outside kind of ag school type stuff. So we just couldn't do conventional fumigants, right? It, it just wasn't going to make sense there. Um, it just, it couldn't. And so, you know, all these things kind of coalesced, the almond leadership program, um, the special project that we did, um, trying to find alternative uses, Chris, you know, obviously having his ideas uh, and then just the need that we had at a production level. And what I told Chris is like, Hey, if we do this, if we do this lab scale, let's go ahead and try to do it, you know, at fully operational scale. Um, and I think that was kind of from the beginning. I mean, what would you say, Chris? That was kind of the idea from the beginning, right? Yeah, we knew we were going to move fairly quickly and make a leap from the predictive studies at lab scale to really an authentic commercial scale deployment, which is a little unusual for us. Usually there are some intermediate steps where we kind of incrementally work up from plots that are a couple hundred square feet to rows that would mimic what you would have in commercial ag and then scale out to multiple acres. But we really went from the promising data that we had in the lab to a full-scale deployment. Well, Chris, tell me a little bit about that deployment, that really, that implementation into that larger scale for the biosolarization project. How did that look in the almond orchard test sites? 
Yeah, so biosolarization, just to give you some brief background, is a pesticide alternative to control soil-borne pests and pathogens. And it does that by leveraging solar heating and microbial processes in the soil to place a number of stresses on pests and pathogens. So what we can do in the lab is mimic a soil environment in bioreactors that can uh, represent the temperatures, oxygen levels, moisture content, amendment rates that we would potentially deploy in the field. And then we can look to see if there are responses that would indicate pest inactivation. Those would be things like acidification of the soil, uh, anoxic stress in the soil, production of biopesticides through fermentation in the soil. So what we did initially is a lab study where we could take residues from almond processing, put them in our soil bioreactors at varying rates, and then look at the kinetics of conditions that we know are likely to impact and suppress pests and pathogens. And what we saw at the lab scale was that you could amend this whole and shell material into the soil at a rate of around 1% total mass. And you could get robust fermentation and organic acid biopesticide production in a fairly short time period within one week. And so that gave us some promising signals that the conditions that were likely to be effective would be scalable. We didn't have to add an outlandish amount of this material to the soil or anything like that. The time scale was more or less comparable to the treatment period that you would employ for traditional fumigation. And so everything was in alignment where we did feel confident then taking that to a large scale deployment in the field. And so that's basically mimicking the conditions that we used in the bioreactors in terms of the amount of hull and shell that we applied to the soil, the depth to which we incorporated it, the amount of moisture that we added, the tarp material that we used to cover these plots and promote oxygen depletion and solar heating. Uh, it's basically just copying all those conditions at the small scale, but doing so uh, using traditional farm operations. We've covered biosolarization on this podcast once or twice before. I, I, I'm curious, is, is there anything about this process for almonds that uh, is overly different compared to the practice in other crops, or is it more or less the same? Well, there's some common elements in terms of we are trying to combine the inhibitory effects of high temperature through solar heating with the inhibitory effects of oxygen depletion and production of organic acids in the soil. And usually the synergistic action of those stresses enhances and accelerates broad spectrum pest inactivation. So those are the common goals for the technology. Uh, for almonds, uh, it's a crop that's particularly well-suited. One, because traditionally it does employ high quantities of soil fumigants. So there's a great potential to displace a large amount of pesticide use. It's positioned within the valley where you have high temperatures in the summer. You can get really uh, large temperature spikes that help to decrease pests, especially in the topsoil. And then it's an opportunity for a circular economy because you've got this really abundant, compatible organic residue stream in the way of hulls and shells that could have a market opportunity, new market opportunity in terms of being used as a soil additive, not just to improve fertility, but also this added benefit of pest suppression. So in addition to checking the boxes for 
you know, the requisite inhibitory mechanisms that we look at in the soil. There were also these other very compelling uh, factors that made almonds and almond cultivation very well suited for biosolarization. Okay, certainly. We're going to be right back after a word from our sponsors. AllGrow Compost is a natural, organic-based, all-in-one solution. AllGrow has shown to improve water retention up to 20%, enhance soil structure, improve yields, and provide critical nutrients at a 25% plus cost saving versus chemical fertilizers. There is no better all-in-one amendment providing cost-effective critical soil needs for growers. Contact your AllGrow Soil Health Specialist at 209-312-4016 or visit us online at synagro.com. S-Y-N-A-G-R-O.com. Synagro, your partner for a cleaner, greener world. Hi, we're back talking with Chris Simmons in the Department of Food Science and Tech at UC Davis and Rory Crowley with Project APSM about biosolarization in almond orchards and how returning holes and shells to the orchard can improve soil and tree health. Rory, your orchard was used for the demonstration of this project, demonstrating some of those results. What were some of those results uh, seen? What were they and how did the project really prove concept at the end of the day? You know, from a from the production standpoint, there was a number of things, obviously, that we wanted to see from this. Um, we wanted to see nematode reduction, especially in our treated rows. Um, when we can't chemically fumigate, there's got to be alternative methods. And there's some alternative methods after you plant. But in terms of pre-plant, this just made a lot of sense. Um, you know, but we had to do, I mean, from the, <laughs> this is kind of really, really new stuff. I mean, so we still, we still used, um, a lot of the same technology that they use. I mean, these, this total impermeable film, um, we used that, uh, to cover up some drip on top of it. And so, uh, we also, you know, we, we got kind of the bee's knees when it was, uh, in terms of the drip, cause it was pressure compensated drip. So I think, um, you know, we had to prove concept. And I think one of the things we did, I mean, it, it was just we, we got past the hurdle of laying everything kind of in one fell swoop, which which I think was a was a major kind of um, manufacturing and production uh, kind of um, hurdle for us just in the field. It was very difficult to do it. But now that it's been done, I mean, it's really <laughs> quite simple, you know. Um, so I think and then once we turned it on, I mean, what I started smelling the soil and um, the 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 after effect of the soil was just an incredible, uh, it was incredible difference from where it was not treated. And so from the production standpoint, you smell soil like that, you just kind of go, Oh man, this is, uh, this is going to be something special. Um, so that's what that, that's what happened there. You know, as the trees went in, I think anybody, uh, thinking about the situation we had in these treated rows, uh, the trunk diameters were not, um, we're not growing as fast as the controls, which I think concerned everybody from, from that standpoint. But after a couple of years, you know, we actually saw them catch up and now kind of overtake <laughs> the other trunks, which is kind of fascinating. And, you know, one of the things that we've seen from a production standpoint is the last two harvests, they, it's just been pretty substantial, the change that has taken place on these trees. Um, you know, typically we shake some, some trees on the outside, we go on the inside to kind of test shake prior to harvest. And um, that, you know, all of our non-parels look good on both sides. Um, what I didn't take into account was this, this treatment area with the, uh, the biosolarization rows. And so, 
you know, about an hour and a half into this orchard, I get a call from one of my operators saying, Rory, we've got a whole line of, of, of green nuts. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Um, you know, so we get over there and you just you look at these trees um, now at the production level, which we've been at the production level for the last two years. Uh, they're healthier. They've got more crop on the tree. They got more quality crop on the tree. The trunk diameters now look bigger to me just by, you know, kind of anecdotal observation. Um, it just looks like a much healthier tree. The canopy is much healthier. It's almost like my other trees are a little bit stressed out, right? Um, it took a while for the for those trees to kind of get in place and fall in place um, with that treatment area. But once they did, they took off uh, beyond the controls. And so we're going to hopefully quantify that this year. I mean, that's exactly what an operator wants to see back to the question, right? We want to see more yield. At the end of the day, it's about more yield. It's about better quality. And it's about better tree health over the long term of that orchard. And so in those treated rows, it's just extremely clear. This is better dirt. It's a better tree and it's a better nut and there's more of it. So that's exactly what we wanted to see. Great way to put it. Rory, I'm curious about one thing, you know, I'm sure one thing we might not have touched on yet is that this practice is also pretty beneficial for uh, reducing the waste of these byproducts um, after harvest. You know, the, uh, the industry is always looking for ways to use these byproducts, these holes and shells and putting them back in the ground. And that's a really good way to reduce that waste. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's what kind of, you know, Dr. Simmons was talking about here. We, we've got this opportunity to have this full kind of life cycle of that tree that, you know, even though they're, they're getting taken off of the processor, you know, we're still getting them back to where they were grown. Um, I, I, I want to see one day where, you know, we don't, we we're, we're, we're hauling and shelling or at least hauling uh, in the field where we can leave these, you know, uh, types of residue back in the field. It wouldn't be as technical of a treatment, but I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of potash in these, in these co-products, um, especially from the shell perspective. And so, you know, from the, even from, you know, the perspective of the macronutrients that went back in there and the exchanges that was going on. I mean, it was just it's really incredible what happened to that soil um, at, at really every level. So um, we have an opportunity to get rid of waste and to put it back into orchard where it belongs. Um, this is a prime example of how to do that. I mean, I think we, we had a, we had a lot of ton go back in right before you plant. I mean, and obviously these are, these are pre-plant scenarios. So we've got to be thinking about this as these, you know, guys and gals are returning those orchards and, and trying to figure out what to do. Um, you know, maybe uh, whole orchard recycling plus biosolarization would be a great way to treat the strips. You know, we're also looking at other applications and other crops, which I think Chris can talk about. Um, you know, this the, the technology is here. It's been proven. Now we've got to make sure that uh, people can can ad can adapt and adopt it, you know. And so I think that's uh, that's the ultimate hope of this thing. Well, the results certainly sound promising. Uh, I'm curious, Chris, can you really speak to the conclusion of this project with what you and your lab saw? You know, what would you really recommend with this practice at the end of the day uh, in terms of its viability? Yeah. So there's kind of two realms of responses that we've been tracking. One is at the soil level in terms of soil properties, fertility, and then the properties of the trees grown in those soils. Uh, at the soil level, what we saw is that biosolarization accelerated and maintained long-term suppression of root lesion and ring nematodes. And for about two years, elevated levels of organic nitrogen and potassium. Um, now at the tree level, you, you heard Roy talk about in the first year post-treatment, actually the growth rate of those 
trees and the treated plots was a bit slower than the untreated controls, which was surprising, but at some level it does make sense because the process represents a radical uh, transformation of the soil chemical and to an extent physical environment. And so it could take some time for trees to adapt to that changed environment before they can fully capitalize on the benefits of reduced pest stress and the presence of these uh, plant nutrients. Um, after that one year adaptation period, we did see the trees catch up. We saw other indicators of enhanced performance. We've done multispectral imaging of the orchard canopy and have seen that for certain varieties of almonds in the biosolarized soil, they have greater chlorophyll content. So presumably they're capturing more energy and uh, have increased metabolism and we hope are investing more in the number and the quality of the fruit on those trees. And that's really where we're going next. We need that ultimate indicator that every grower is going to care about at the end of the day, which is the yield and the quality of the product. And so that's the goal for this upcoming summer to start to capture some of the phenomena that you heard Roy talk about in terms of the time to maturity, time to whole split, for instance, but then also just getting that tons per acre yield measurement um, that is going to be so key to grower adoption. Um, but leading up to that kind of ultimate metric uh, performance, we do have a number of, of very promising indicators that the trees are primed for increased performance on both the soil and the tree health side. Before we move on to the last question here, I want to ask maybe both of you this, because I know Rory, you work a lot uh, with cover crops now with Project APSM and Chris, I'm sure you're familiar as well. How, where do, you know, the industry is trying to get cover crops into orchards as well. Where do cover crops fall into this? You know, if an orchard is being biosolarized, how, how can cover crops fit into that? When we hear this notion of integrated pest management, you know, I do think that that captures this opportunity to dovetail pest management on the cover crop side with what we can do on the biosolarization side. So certain cover crops have their own pest, suppress pest suppressive properties. Mm -hmm. uh, they contain glucosinolates that can form isothiocyanates, which are their own biopesticides. But there's also this organic matter within the cover crops. And I think there's an opportunity to strategically schedule cover cropping and the types of cover crops that we use with the needs of biosolarization. So for instance, if you have a green cover crop that is rich in nitrogen and labile carbon, when you incorporate that into the soil, that could be an opportune time to then come in and biosolarize and capitalize on that organic matter degradation to not just get the fertility benefits, not just get the benefits of the endogenous biopesticides in the cover crop, but also to enhance those with all these other uh, mineralization processes and biopesticide generation processes that we can gain through biosolarization. So that is another angle that we are exploring going forward. If we can just couple cover cropping and the incorporation of that biomass with basically serving as an organic amendment in place of something like almond hull and shell for subsequent biosolarization. Yeah. And I would just, I mean, I would just kind of, you know, piggyback on that. Look, I, this thing can be worked into the redevelopment of an orchard. I mean, you know, I'm an orchardist. I'm, we, we hammered down on this to prove concept and it was, you know, I mean, for anybody's standards, it's a little pricey, but at the end of the day, what it, 
what it, it, we didn't indiscriminately nuke the soil with um, chemicals, right? I mean, we cut, we 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 actually utilized very specific um, things within the soil to uh, to really do its job. And so, um, you know, integration into other systems are going to be really important. But I also think, you know, that getting back to that idea of the cover crop. Chris, I think we had a cover crop before we had a cover crop after, you know, like, I mean, we were, we were in there constantly, right. With cover crop before and after, like kind of not, we weren't trying to do that, but that was just part of the program. I mean, for example, when we took the SIRS out, uh, we went all, all, all the, you know, we went automatically into, uh, the brassicas, um, and we had to, you know, we just broadcast it. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we were, we had cover crop in there, I think, uh, at least two or three out of the, you know, many years that this has been going. So um, what I'm looking at right now is really stacking practices. I mean, that's kind of what, what Davis is talking about in many ways. Some of these, you know, soil scholars, um, you know, we want to, we're thinking about doing another biosolarization run with some whole orchard recycling material and whole and shell mixed in. I mean, to give you a little bit of a perspective here, my father-in-law, he, he said he wishes he did the whole thing biosolarized, the, the field that where we did the trial, right? And so now we're really seriously looking at doing a 53-acre biosolarization treated rose with whole orchard recycling, which would include cover cropping as well, right? And maybe it's the case where the cover crop amendments would also, you know, be helpful to, you know, the, the, uh, the wood chips that are already there. You know, I mean, there's, there's a whole host of things that can now go on uh, because we did this with Hull and Shell that we could start looking at other applications. We could start looking it into, you know, just weaving it into the, the redevelopment of an orchard. And so, yeah, there's other concepts to prove, but I mean, at the end of the day, this thing has, has really opened up our eyes to utilizing what's already in the dirt and just doing it more intelligently. And um, it's very clear when you walk through that orchard, um, you know, where the healthy trees are. So it's, it's pretty cool. Testing some of those new practices. I mean, you'd mentioned that, you know, maybe in another iteration of this, you'd use whole orchard recycling, a very up and coming uh, strategy in almonds and other tree nuts. You know, what would something like that entail or, or maybe any other strategies regarding biosolarization and almonds? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I think the, the thing is stacking practices, right? So, I mean, what we want to be doing is we want to come in, we want to hold to recycling, chip it all up, put it back in six inches, right? We just got a grant um, through the CDFA on that. And so, you know, the family operation that used to work at, we're going to go and, and do that. Then we're going to have, we even got cover crop dollars um, from CDFA for that. So we're going to go on top with that. Um, and maybe, maybe we can do some lines of, like I said, biosolarization, who knows? Um, we want to go back on with some hole and shell because just because of the potash benefits that's there. Um, you know, and then we're going to, for the, for three years, I mean, we're kind of going to go a little bit slower on this orchard than we did the last go around, but for three years, we're going to try to plant cover crop, um, you know, keep, keep breaking down the woody material, uh, in the centers. And so, I don't know, we'll see. I mean, we want to biosolarize out there too. So we'll just have to see. Certainly. sounds exciting. Chris, anything you'd like to add on that front? Uh, anything you'd do differently? Any other metrics you'd look at like yield, et cetera? Yeah, there's a few dials that growers can control to maximize the performance of biosolarization. And some of the data that informed our optimization strategy came in in the years after we did this trial with the Nicholas Nut Company. So for instance, in that original trial, we did run the hull and shell through a tub grinder, but maintained a very coarse particle size on the order of, of one inch. 
Um, what we learned in the years after that is that there is a benefit to investing more energy into finely milling that material, taking it down to at least two millimeters. Uh, and what that does is still gives you that initial surge of activity during biosolarization, maintains the pest inactivation efficacy, but then it dramatically decreases the remediation period that you need to avoid something like we saw in the Chico trial where we had that one year of slower growth in the treated plots. If you use that more finely ground material, you can dramatically reduce that remediation period uh, because the material will, will stabilize much more quickly in the soil. So if I had to go back in time and adjust some of the parameters, it would have been using more finely milled material for sure. Well, gentlemen, that's all really great information. The, the practice certainly sounds quite promising, um, uh, especially, Chris, with how you were kind of relating it to how cover crops can fit into it as well. That's, that's all really great stuff. Thank you both for being on the show today and kind of talking about this. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you. Definitely. Yeah, thanks. That was great. This is Taylor with My Ag Life signing off. Thank you for listening. Subscribe for updates, exclusive content, and more at myaglife.com.